Well, good morning. As it has already been said, I am the I am the youth director here at First Presbyterian Church, and I have been given the opportunity to uh, preach to you all this morning and to uh, give give this morning's message. I'm very grateful to uh, Parker for sharing the pulpit with me and to give uh, and to have this time to share with you all what the Lord has shown me this week. Let's begin with, with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. Lord, for this text here in Ephesians, Lord, I pray that a familiar text that many of us have heard uh, would be fresh to us today, that we would come to it with um, an open heart and that we would be ready to receive what you would have for us today. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. Our passage this morning is going to come out of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we've already heard the first couple of verses uh, expounded there in the children's sermon. But we're going to be focusing our attention today on just one verse. Ephesians 6, and it's going to be verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God shall abide forever. And by his grace and mercy, may his word be preached to you. This morning, we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to be a good father? What does it mean to be a good father? If you... Google this question, which is the way that our generation seems to try to find information these days, you'll pull up several different definitions of what that looks like. I read one article that says a good father should be able to repair a computer and braid his daughter's hair. (laughs) But the culture can debate endlessly as to what the definition of a good father is. And we can maybe look to our own examples, our own fathers, and say, that is the example. Is my father, or his father, or that father. We can all have many different definitions in what we've grown up with. But as always, with any category, with any question, we should find out what is God's definition. And that's what we find here in Ephesians 6.4. It's a very short verse, short and to the point, just the way us fathers like it. But there is a lot here. There is so much to unpack. And what we're going to find today, and as I will explain in the coming minutes, is that we are God's deputy dads as we give our children the instruction that he gives us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at Ephesians 6.4, and mainly into its context. Ephesians 6.4 lies in the context of a household code. In in other words, Paul is showing the church, the church here at Ephesus, what is a Christian family supposed to look like. We looked in, if if we had time to look back into the previous chapter, we could see what is the relationship supposed to be between a Christian husband and wife. And as we were talking about in the children's sermon, what is it to look like for Christian children and parents? And how that relationship is supposed to go. And now here we're finding out what is the role between father and son, father and daughter. Paul starts out with this negative command. He begins with fathers do not. So we're finding out what fatherhood is not. 
And if we look at it, it says to not provoke your children to anger. But what does this mean? How is it? How do we provoke our children to anger? How is it? What is he commanding us not to do? And what we find, if we're ever confused about a passage in, in, in Scripture, the best interpretation of a verse is usually another verse. If you're to look in, and a lot of Bibles have in the middle section a little cross-reference area, and this verse will point you to another one. If you turn to Colossians 3.21, this is another letter that Paul has written, we think, along the same time as Ephesians. And in Colossians 3.21, he gives a very similar command. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And then he gives the reason. Lest they become discouraged. This is the reason why we don't want to do that. So how, so how is this done? Does this mean that we don't punish our children? Because this, this could be discouraging, couldn't it? They could be angry if we would punish them. But we find out later we're supposed to discipline them, so it can't mean that. But we find out here, and what Paul is most likely getting at, is the idea here is that we're not to demean our children. The point is not to be overly harsh in our discipline. Sometimes in previous generations, the idea was to, to break the child. That's not our goal here in this passage. We are to instruct, we are to discipline, no doubt. We're going to cover that in a minute. But we're not supposed to insult. We're not supposed to belittle. We're not supposed to discourage. Another way that we can communicate that is that so that they will not lose heart. We don't want them coming away feeling like that they can never do anything right. So if that's not the way we're supposed to teach and train up our children, how are we supposed to do that? What we'll find out, and as we look into other passages, like in Deuteronomy, it talks about to be instructing them along the way, as you're going about your life, when you sit down, when you rise up, we're to be instructing our children. An example of this is something from my own life. I remember this is one of these conversations, if you ever think that just a casual conversation with your son or daughter about the things of, of, of the Lord as you go by, it's like, well, they're not going to remember that. It's just this little conversation on the way. I remember a conversation my dad and I had almost 15 years ago. We had just come back from a wonderful pastor's conference. I got to spend the weekend listening to some of the greatest preachers expound the word. And as we were driving back to our home, we passed by this billboard sign for Harley-Davidson. And it had this big, burly guy on this fantastic-looking motor vehicle. And it said, written across the top of the billboard sign, she'll get over it. Now, my dad turned to me and looked at me and he said, what do you think that sign is trying to tell you? And I thought about it for a bit, and my 12-year-old mind couldn't quite come up with what the intricacies of the Harley-Davidson marketing department was trying to do. So he explained it to me. And he said, this is presenting to you a picture of manhood and ultimately fatherhood. The idea is that you are a man. You're free to do what you choose and no one can tell you otherwise. It doesn't matter what your responsibilities call you to do, what your family calls you to be. Take what's yours and do that. 
He says, that's what that sign is telling you. That's the picture of manhood that Harley-Davidson is trying to sell you. He says, but that is not manhood. He says, more than likely, you're going to find the real man is the one who is behind the wheel of a minivan. <laughs> and he's exactly right. The kind of manhood, the kind of fatherhood that the Bible is calling us to be is one of self-sacrifice, not self-gratification. The point of laying down the, the supposed freedoms that we should want to pick up and what the world will constantly try to sell us and instead points us to this picture of, no, you have a call on your life. You have something way more significant than the open road and the wind in your hair. You have a call to raise up a family, to raise up worshipers for God. The picture of fatherhood is so much larger that a corporate marketing department will try to tell you. Now, as I told you, we were on our way back from probably one of the greatest Bible conferences that was available in Orlando at the time. I was 12. I don't remember a single thing from that conference. But I've never forgotten that conversation with my dad. That's going and teaching along the way. That's pointing out from life and drawing it a direct application to me. We can think that these words just fall to the ground, and maybe some of them do. But that's just one of those things that is like these words can have such a powerful effect. And remember, it's not just the power of your words, not your eloquence that's going to communicate this. But it's going to be the Holy Spirit that takes these words that you've had from, from Scripture and is planting them in your child's heart. You're not alone in this walk. So Paul continues in verse 4. To not provoke children to anger, but to bring them up. The word, the phrase that Paul uses here to bring them up, we could translate as nourish. He actually uses the same word back in uh, chapter 5, verse 29, when he's talking about the way that husbands are supposed to love their wives, supposed to nourish them. It's not just talking about giving them enough food so they can be physically full or so that they can grow up to be well-adjusted and healthy. The Hebrew concept that comes with this, that comes with this concept of nourishment is also affection. Letting them know that they are loved. There are some that will feel like there should be a certain healthy distance between father and child. And what we would want to draw out from here is that, that they should know that you love them. Tell them that. Show them that. We don't want to just say, it's like, well, I have gone to my job. I have provided for them. I've, they have food. They have an education. Let me sit back with my paper. We don't want to cut off our goals that, that short. We want to make sure that we can provide them that affection so that they don't lose heart. But this is not just telling them I love you, and this is not just giving them a meal. But he has two more commands for us, two more words that he talks about, to bring them up, to raise them, nourish them up in the discipline and instruction. Two separate words here. First, discipline. 
is translated very well, talks about correction. As wonderful and as cute as they are, we have little sinners in our hands. And they need correction, as did we. And the Bible is very clear, full of warnings for those that want to shirk this responsibility. Proverbs is full of wisdom that tells us foolishness is bound up, it's imprisoned in the heart of a child, and only the rod of correction will drive it far from them. And that if we want them to go in a certain way, we need to train them up so that they will go in that way. The human heart is never going to, on its own, turn and follow the ways of God. There is a correction and a guidance that must be there. It's hard. It's hard to be consistent with something like that. It's hard to, when you've had just a really long day, and the last thing you want to deal with is little Johnny's attitude or his disrespect. But it's in those moments when you're willing to, again, set aside your own freedoms, put aside those things that we would love to have for ourselves, a sacrifice. That's how we nourish and love our children, bringing them up in that discipline as we go along the way. And then the next word he uses, he uses is instruction, discipline and instruction. You could actually translate this word as warning. If you've ever had the opportunity, and here in, here in the rural south, a lot of us have, taking our children out to the shooting range for the first time. We sit them down and we're very explicit with them. Here are the rules of how this works. This is a firearm. You have to respect it. You always assume that it's loaded. Never point it at anything that you don't want to pull a, put a bullet through. And we send them with so much warning. We're very intentional about that because we know how devastating those consequences are when a firearm is used incorrectly. We need to approach eternal issues with the same sort of urgency. Because as devastating as a bullet shot in the wrong direction can be, there is nothing more devastating than not telling them about eternity. And to take that seriously and saying that there are spiritual dangers that are just as real, if not more so, than the physical dangers that they can face. And that's what that instruction must be. That's why God has given us such a big book. There's a lot of things to pass along. There's a lot of a very important information that God has given to us that we need to pass along to them. We need to make sure that this is careful, carefully done. And that's why it says, and we're very specific as to what this instruction is, because it says the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You could look at this several different ways, but the, the, the predominant view that I have found, when it says of the Lord, it means the teaching and instructions that God would want us to pass on. That's why I started with this concept of the deputy dad. The deputy is meant to carry out the wills and laws that the lawmakers have created. God is our sheriff. And we're called to exercise the same rules and laws that he would have. When we look at deputies who are willing to look the other way for a small payment to try to get around laws, we call them corrupt. And we want them out of the business of enforcing the law. 
And when we're willing to bend God's instructions, when we're willing to let things slip by and say, well, they're children, they'll grow out of that, I don't need to deal with that. When we don't take the time to warn them about these things, we're being terrible deputies. We're being corrupt enforcers of the law. And again, this is something that, has, that is done in these intentional, sit-down, come-to-Jesus meeting kind of conversations. And also the, as you go along the way, when you sit down and when you rise up. Again, back to that conversation with, with my father. I've had several such things. And it's astonishing how much those things can impact a child and how much that they'll stick Now, it's possible, hearing this sermon today, or maybe just thinking about this holiday in general, that this is a painful day for many. Maybe looking back onto these verses, you may, may recognize, this was not my father. My father didn't do this for me. He didn't train me up in the ways of the Lord. I had someone else bring me along with that. Discipline was harsh and demeaning. Instruction was either non-existent or wrong. And we can carry around a lot of pain, perhaps even bitterness, for what we have experienced with that. Maybe you don't even know who your father was. I have kids that I take care of on Wednesday nights where that is their reality. But there is a father who hears that cry. There is a father to the fatherless, as we've heard in our call to worship this morning, that hasn't turned his back on you. There is a father there that is not provoking you to anger. His discipline and instruction is meant for your good. Even when we choose not to see it that way, we have a father that loves us more than we can possibly know. We have seen how, through this, these last several weeks, about how he is delivering the children of Israel. We've seen how he has reacted to other countries messing with his firstborn son. And the lengths that God will go to to deliver his people. And it gets even more profound when we make it into the New Testament. And when we see the lengths that he will go is to sacrifice his son so that we wouldn't have to be orphans. So that we would not have to wander this place wondering, where is my dad? Because he's been watching us since the foundation of the world. And will bring us up, nurture us, show us affection and his discipline and his instruction. Maybe this is also a painful time because maybe we've looked back on our own exercise of this gift, this privilege of fatherhood, and have recognized, I have been overly angry with my children. I have been impatient with them. I have shirked my responsibilities to discipline and instruct. I have been a corrupt deputy. And what we find 
in the nature of God, we find that there is, he's not a harsh, arms-crossed, frowning father, but a forgiving one who has died for these sins too, who has sacrificed for our poor fatherhood. So that we can be forgiven. And that our Father can look at us and say, Yes, this is true. You have sinned. But I've provided a way so that you can be forgiven. And more than that, I will provide you with a power so that you and I will go together. And even though you have made your your mistakes, you are an imperfect Father. I am the perfect Father. And I am right behind you. I'm holding your children in my hand just like I'm holding you in my hand. And that's a comfort that we can always hold on to. He's not going to push you to a place where he's not going with you. Even to the valley of the shadow of death, he follows you there. As confusing and as hard as fatherhood is, he's already gone before you. That Holy Spirit is already working in your heart and he's working in their hearts too. And you may say, well, that may be, he may be working in other children's heart, but I can see mine is astray. We know since God is the one that turns the heart, we never have to look at our children and look at them with hopelessness. We know God's spirit is not going to be, cannot be outrun. If he wants my son, he will take him. He will change that heart. He will capture my daughter's affections. He can do that. Even when I have been imperfect. Even when we miss the mark. We know that he goes on before us. So what we can take away from this today, we have the honor and privilege of being deputy dads. And that's the case even if you don't have any biological children of your own. As I mentioned, we have many children that come here on Wednesday nights that they do not have a father. At least on earth anyway. And we have the opportunity to be fathers to them. To provide for them as much as we can the discipline and instruction that God has given to us. We have a whole ton of opportunities to exercise this. This is an honor and a privilege that we have to lay down the things that we would love to hold on to. The freedoms that we would love to pretend that we deserve. But we have the honor and privilege to get to lay these down for the sake of these We have the opportunity to receive those children just like Jesus did. And for those of us who are celebrating our fathers today, maybe those of us who are younger, we have the opportunity to bless them as well through our obedience. For those of you who are sitting here today who are younger, it is is a blessing to your father to be a wise son. It is a blessing to your heavenly father to be a wise son. 
So if you want to honor your fathers today, you have the opportunity to do so. In those moments, you can lay down your own freedoms, the things that you would want, even though your father tells you to do things that you'd rather not, those commands that you bristle against. If he's doing this right, he is bringing you up in the Lord. And that's the best thing he can do for you. There's blessing in following him. And there is great joy in following after our Heavenly Father through our fathers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Daddy, we thank you that you provided for us this instruction. You give us this command to go And you give us these children that are such blessings. I ask that you would help us to take this privilege seriously. That we would look at this as an opportunity, not as some sort of drudgery or just mere duty, but a joy to go. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that while we sit and walk and talk with our children along the way, that you empower every single step on that journey. I pray that we would rely on you and not our own wisdom, that we would rely on your example, not even our own father's example, but that we would look to you and you alone as the perfect template and that we know that we will fail, but we thank you for your grace that meets us in that failure and that you can pick us up, you discipline and instruct us and we walk along the way with you and pray that you would help us to bring our children along. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.